Good morning, Ohio. It's James Lewis of this Dream House, the show that is all about the house. Joining us from Hinnon Camp Glass Crafters is Jacob Hinnon Camp. Jacob, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excellent. So we're excited to find out more about you and your organization. So who are the Hinnon Camp Glass Crafters? We are a father-son team of radically different stained glass artists making custom windows for residences and businesses in the Cincinnati area. We've got over 40 years of experience in all different kinds of themes, including bizarre naturescapes, animals, religious and mythological figures, and even abstract representations. So we kind of do a little bit of everything. Wow. So in other words, uh, there's a wide variety of things. Basically, if someone would, would uh, contact you, you can do a custom piece? Yeah, absolutely. I actually prefer custom pieces over some of my own sometimes. That is awesome. I was going to say it's always good to be flexible. Now, you mentioned about being different. Uh, do you mean you're different between you and your dad, or you and your dad are different than other uh, glass crafters? I think both of us, we kind of both adhere to the same standards and the same school, um, I guess, for the lack of a better term. But, yeah, I like to think that we're, we try to separate ourselves from other people doing it. Excellent. So you mentioned uh, school. How did your dad get started? So he actually started it as a hobby almost 40 years ago. He received some informal instruction through a through a small studio that is no longer in existence but it was local uh, i can't remember exactly the name of it but it was this was about 40 years ago so yeah he uh, he did not go to for, he didn't have any formal education on it it was more like just kind of teaching himself and then picking up pieces here and there so in other words it was more of a passion project yeah, yeah, it's it's always been a passion project for him. He's never really done it for profit. Um, he's never really done any commissions or had any real desire to. So that's kind of the that's kind of the main difference between him and I. Is I'm really trying to turn it into a profession or career path. Definitely. So, how did he train you? It was very informal um, over the kind of over the years. Living with him, I kind of just picked up things here and there, and kind of just watching him in the studio, learning his techniques, studying his finished pieces that he has hanging around all over the house. And then when I finally decided to give it a go about four years ago, he was the source of information that that I needed to kind of prosper in it. So, so what are your steps uh, in creating? You know, in your creation process. So I've actually identified from start to finish, there's about 70 individual steps. Um, depending on a project, some of these can be removed or simplified. Um, I'm not going to go into, into them all, but I can kind of break it down into general steps. So first, a design is chosen and color-coordinated with the selection of glass to help finalize the sketch that the window is being built on top of. And once the sketch is finished and laid down and glass is chosen, the individual pieces are made. 
Now, all the glass we use is bought in sheets that we get from either little shops ordered online or get wholesale through distributors. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much how that's done. So because we use the Tiffany method, the perimeter of every piece is wrapped in copper foil. And when all the pieces are finished, we begin soldering. So the the copper foil that every piece is wrapped in provides a surface for the solder to stick to. And it creates a strong, solid joint between every piece. So you got to do this throughout the whole window, front and back. So... It is oh not my. a very fun process. Making the pieces is fun, but soldering, pretty much anybody you talk to that makes stained glass windows kind of dreads that final phase. So, But after the soldering's finished, you add a zinc border to the perimeter of the window to make it sturdier and safe to handle. And after that's installed, it's thoroughly cleaned, making sure to neutralize acid that is used during the soldering process and remove any impurities from the window surface. After it's clean, you have an option to add patina, which is a chemical that turns the solder lines and zinc border black. Now, they make other colors, but black is the best because it makes the colors in the window pop, as we call it. After this, it's cleaned one final time, then wax is applied to both sides, and after letting it dry for a day, it gets buffed. Waxing and buffing not only gives it a shine that people find appealing, but it protects the solder lines from oxidizing and changing color in the future. And after that, you check the window for imperfections in solder lines that can be corrected with a razor blade, which there pretty much always is going to be certain parts because it's hard to point them out as you're making it, but at the end, they kind of pop out. So, mm-hmm. And after you make any corrections, then you got a stained glass window. That's it. So it sounds like it's a very uh, detailed and intricate process to making your art. It is, yeah. It's Like I said, it can be broken down into general steps, but each general step has about 10 to 15 sub-steps. <laughs> With something like this, I mean, it's definitely uh, you know, a passion project. You have to be dedicated to doing such a thing, I would think. Absolutely, yes, if you want to get it finished within uh, the decade that you're working it in. Because, <laughs> I mean, you could just work on it a half hour a day and it might take you two years to make it. Uh, or you could work on it every day for four or five hours and be done in two, three weeks. So I I work on it a lot So I'm because I'm pretty dedicated, but that's because I'm trying to turn it into a career. Most people are just hobbyists and don't find the time to work on it you know, four or five hours a day. So so why does art leave people so breathless? Why does it mean so much to them? I think because it can be very surprising. You know, maybe they find some subconscious connection with it that they were not expecting to, or it reminds them of a forgotten memory, or maybe even part of them is offended or confused by it. So how are you connected to the uh, Charlie Harper Art Studio? So I am licensed through the studio to recreate Charlie's work in stained glass. I've got access to his vast collection of works, including serographs, lithographs, and giclays. These are all just different forms of prints that the studio has distributed through the years. 
So pretty much as long as I remain true to the original Harper element I use in the window, I've got permission to either replicate the original as a whole or create my own unique background for each window, which is pretty much how most of them have been made. Interesting. So how do you know when it's better to uh, to change the background? It just depends on what kind of design is in the original. Like if there's all kinds of weird stuff going on that I can't represent in glass, then I will create my own background. Or if it is a piece that I'm looking to make more than one of, such as his cardinal, I've made about 30 of those. Because my intention was to make more than one and I want everyone to be absolutely unique. The best way to do it is to just make my own background. So, so if I'm making more than one of, of the design, then I use my own. But if I'm planning on just making one, then I'll usually try to just replicate it from the original. So how did you gain your affinity and respect for fine art? I think it started at a young age. Uh, some of my earliest memories are watching my dad work on windows in the studio. And also, like I said before, his finished windows were installed in the home I grew up in. So from the get-go, I was kind of immersed in the stained glass culture and witnessed to a pretty high standard of creativity. So like we were talking earlier, it sounds like a lot of detail and care really goes into the art. Yeah, yeah, it, it um it's like anything. You could you could take a half hour on it or you could take 10 hours on it. So, I try to go as much into as much detail as possible without driving me insane. Uh like sometimes I find myself correcting mistakes that aren't actually mistakes. <laughs> or sometimes I'm hyper focused or tunnel visioned on such a small part of the window that I lose track of the big picture. But regardless, overall, I never regret the time I spend because it always proves to be worthwhile when I see the finished window with light through it for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I really can't see changing any part of this process at that point because it's worked so well. And I've just kind of come to accept that certain parts and times are going to be rougher than others, you know. You touched on it briefly about where you get your glass from. Where do you, how are you able to get such uh, fine materials to utilize? So there's uh, actually a couple shops around the city that I've gotten materials from. But if I'm buying larger quantities, I'll go through either a place called Delphi Glass online, Ed Hoy's in Chicago, which I also do online, or Franklin Art Glass in Columbus. But when it comes to glass, we're pretty lucky to be within reasonable driving distance of two of the finest stained glass producers in the world. Their names are Yagigani and Kokomo. So Yagigani happens to be about five hours away in Connellsville, Pennsylvania. That's actually where Falling Waters is, the house by Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, nice. Um, every year they've got a warehouse sale where all their glasses at least half off. So my dad and I have gone the last three years and have come back with just a treasure trove of beautiful glass that I've used in most of my pieces. And Kokomo 
opalescent glasses in Kogmo, Indiana, about two and a half hours away. Mm-hmm. And although I've never been there personally, my dad's been there a couple times, and we've ordered from them uh, online. And because it's it's only two and a half hours away, the shipping costs aren't terrible, but they're still pretty costly because of what's required to ship glass safely. So another yeah. another good place is Bullseye, but that's not local, so we don't go through them that often just because... Like I said before, costly shipping and handling fees. Now you mentioned the uh, the Charlie Harper. Obviously, you get some inspiration there. But where are some of the other inspir- uh, ways you get your inspiration? I try to find it everywhere I can. Um, music is probably my biggest inspiration when I'm working in the studio. Like I really could not imagine working without it. Obviously, my dad is a big source seeing his windows all over the house growing up and seeing the creation process from a young age. Um, probably curiosity is another big one. There's so much that has not been done with stained glass. Like typically when we see stained glass windows or think of them, we see the same recurring themes such as religious figures, flowers, animals, etc., which there's nothing wrong with, but mm-hmm. I try to venture beyond these as far as I can, sometimes even into what people would consider weird or borderline uncomfortable subjects. <laughs> and then uh, another one is personal experiences with nature, for sure. They've given me a limitless collection of memories I can derive designs and concepts from, like certain places I've visited, like Red River Gorge in Kentucky, Monument Valley in Arizona, the Badlands in South Dakota, are all perfect examples of how nature has provided templates for me to use in stained glass windows. Like the natural lines and separation of colors Mm -hmm. in these geographical settings just make them perfect for my art form. So what's the best way to display your art? I think the best way is to freely hang them in front of a window space using chain. Two small holes are drilled in the wooden window frame above the window and eye bolts are screwed in to give a minimally invasive way of incorporating them into a home. This is basically how I've made every single window that I've sold, with the exception of the first Charlie Harper one, which was a transom window. Now, this can be taken to the next level, and the window can actually be built into a window space. However, this requires a custom wooden frame be built to surround the window and block any excess light around the perimeter of it. It looks very nice and makes it appear as if it was built specifically for the window space it sits in front of, but it does require a custom frame be built and it also requires the window be of a relative proportionally size to the window space it's fitting in. So, like, if you've got a long, if you've got a window that's taller than it is wide, you would not want that in a window that's wider than it is tall, you know. So it's got to be proportional if you're doing it that way. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So the, the last way to display them is the most decadent, which is by building a light box. They can be made for just about any size window, and they allow them to hang on a wall as to not require 
natural sunlight coming from behind, so it makes it convenient in that respect. It's really the only way to display them if window space isn't available, because a stained glass window should never be displayed without the allowance of some form of light coming from behind it. Otherwise, it's just a mosaic. So where can our listeners see your art? The website's the best because it's got the highest quality pictures, but uh, if you want to see them in person, there's several shops and galleries I've become involved with in Cincinnati. I am definitely very lucky in the sense that stained glass requires light to be fully appreciated. So my pieces typically get the front stage in the places they're featured because they're hung in the front windows. Oh, that's nice. really the only place they can go in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a serendipitous. But And there's some of the first things people see when they approach the shop or gallery they're in, so it draws people in even. So in these shops and galleries, um, most of the pieces I've got are Charlie Harper's. However, I am working on getting some of my larger original pieces into galleries as things start opening up. But representation opportunities have been very limited in the past year, as you could imagine. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so there's a gallery in Oakley on Madison Road called Casa Sykes. I've got some stuff in. There's a coffee shop that seconds as an art gallery in Latonia, Kentucky called The Roost. And what's cool about that place is it has a bird theme in the way it's decorated. So the Charlie mm-hmm. Harper bird stained glass windows that I've done are just perfect for it. Nice. There's um, a small exotic plant boutique in Newport on the Levee called Leaf and Limb that's got a couple windows, and uh, a shop in Hamilton called Art Space, Hamilton Lost and Resident Gallery, that features a couple as well. And you mentioned Lucky earlier. I understand that our sponsor, Appliance Factory and Mattress Kingdom in Beachmont, is going to be lucky to uh, display one of your pieces uh, with our logo on it in uh, their window. That's correct, yeah. I was uh, thrilled to have that opportunity to make that for him. I think it turned out pretty well, too. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen uh, pictures of it. It looks amazing. I mean, it looks like something that our listeners are going to want to stop by and check out. What factors influence the uh, cost of art? So in terms of stained glass, there's typical factors such as hours, square footage, number of pieces, and additional hardware requirements like lighting and framing. Those are usually enough to determine the cost. However, on more ornate pieces, there's things like the complexity of the design of individual glass pieces, whether the use of lead or copper foil was used, and also the rarity and types of glass used because there's so many, and they range from very cheap to very, very expensive. Also, if a more famous name is attached to it, like Charlie Harper, it's going to reflect in the cost. So before we let you go, uh, Jacob, where on social media, where on the web, where can we find out more about you? So the website is www.hinnencampglass.com. And I'm on Instagram at Glasscrafters with no spaces. And then... Same as on Facebook, but with spaces. <laughs> so same word. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been fun discussing uh, stained glass, and it's going to be awesome having your art displayed in our sponsor, Appliance Factory Mattress Kingdom. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I would like to clarify the spelling on the website, because there's no way to spell it based on <laughs> just hearing it. 
So if you wanted to check out the website, it is www.hinnenkampglass.com. That's hinnenkampglass.com. Excellent. Yeah, I was going to say it's a really nice website. It it shows a lot of your art on there, and then it just shows the potential of a wide variety of more that you can uh, create. Yeah, well, thank you so much. My pleasure. You have a great day, Jacob. You too. Thank you. Appliance Factory of Mattress Kingdom is your kitchen appliance headquarters. Save 30 to 60% every day on everything from LG and GE to KitchenAid and Samsung. If you're considering upgrading your home appliances or mattresses, stop at any one of Appliance Factory of Mattress Kingdom locations. Plus, Mattress Kingdom inside Appliance Factory has largest Tempur-Pedic, Stearns & Foster, and Sealy Selection. Visit ApplianceFactory.com. Good morning, Ohio. James Lewis of this Dream House, the show that's all about the house. Joining us from Top Secret Toys is Steve Ray Kemper. We're excited to ask him all about the company and its great tradition of building amazing toys. Steve, thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you, James. So who is Top Secret Toys? Well, Top Secret Toys is um, an, a kind of a natural outgrowth of... Uh, of uh, uh, our toy inventing company. Uh, we started back in 1983, and uh, we've been inventing toys ever since. Um, nowadays, we have, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, methods of uh, getting toys to consumers like Amazon and other other means. So uh, we have a, we have that uh, avenue for uh, for our inventions. So how did it get started? About five or so years ago, I mean, after, after you know, decades of inventing toys, we've licensed many, many toys to all the big toy companies, Mattel, Hasbro, many, many others. We did McDonald's Happy Meals and things for years. Uh, we have a big inventory of uh, patents and uh, great products that are not actually being actively marketed by the big companies. So we decided to uh, bring those back uh, for consumers to enjoy. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say it's always, you know, shoot, uh, good to see uh, some nostalgia, some, uh, you know, childhood memories, stuff you grew up with, and be able to share it with your children. Well, I'll tell you, uh, James, there's really nothing more satisfying than, uh, you know, creating something that's fun and then being able to license it to a big company and then being able to buy it at the store, and then at the end of the day, being able to actually witness children, you know, screaming with delight while they're playing with it. That's the ultimate in satisfaction for me. Oh, definitely. No, I can imagine. Yeah, I was going to say, seeing how you've uh, brightened their day and, uh, you know, inspired them with, uh, you know, creative thought, I mean, is always a great thing. Well, I'll tell you, you know, in working with uh, executives and toy companies and and uh, buyers and retailers and all these folks, everybody really is still, you know, a kid at heart. So it's not just the kids that enjoy the toys. It's the folks that make them and the folks that buy them and, uh, and license them. And uh, it's, it's across the board. It's a good thing. What are some of the major companies that you've worked with? Well, I think that, you know, we've worked with just about everybody. I mean, uh, over the years, uh, as I said, Mattel and Hasbro and, you know, currently we're, you know, working for companies like 
um, Jack Specific, and uh, we've worked with Spin Master in the past. Um, we work with um, Moose Toys and uh, Jazzwares now, um, NSI. I mean, I could go on and on. I've worked for about 400 companies over the oh, years. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, no worries. Yeah, I was going to say, you don't have to name them all. <laughs> <laughs> so why are your products so highly reviewed? Well, I mean, I think that uh, when you have products that um, uh, come from inventors, the the bar is pretty high on the on the side of fun. So, um, you know, if you're going to uh, uh, get your products marketed by uh, big marketing companies, or if you're going to get good reviews on Amazon, you really have to get it right on the fun side and uh, make make something that is very satisfying for the for the player. So was there anything more popular than, than Gigapets in the 90s? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think there were quite a few. You know, 90s was a great uh, decade, actually, for toys. Um, Gigapets was, uh, you know, obviously super popular, and it's still, um, you know, very much uh, on the minds of folks today. Um there was a bit of a lull in the action uh, as a lot of these kind of digital uh, type products uh, found their way onto mobile phones and other kinds of devices like that. But now the small handheld um, uh, items are coming back because they're they're unique and they're they're reinvented and uh, offer a much more expanded play experience than they ever did. And they're and they're not uh, expensive. They're, they're easy to get your hands on and take with you. Exactly. I can imagine that's one of the big uh, parts of the charm is being uh, portable and something that, you know, you can do to entertain uh, the children and not have to carry around a big uh, clunking, you know, bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, brand recognition is uh, is a very important piece. I think so many people remember it from the 90s. Those folks are uh, our parents now. And uh, that has helped us a lot with with our reintroduction of the GigaPet. Speaking of pets, you also offer Zippy Pet. What is a Zippy Pet? Well, a Zippy Pet uh, is something we did in the past, and we're bringing it back. Uh, It's these are little, um, like a little bird and a little bumblebee uh, that uh, is kind of a self flying toy. You put your hand underneath it, uh, and these are. you know, really fun, actually, uh, because they're the smallest and lightest uh, of of their kind, and uh, they have a, a way that you have a way of interacting with them that is kind of unique, uh, as opposed to you know a non-flying pet, I guess you could say. And then, of course, uh, your company believes in education. You have uh, STEM-based toys. What are some of those? Well, we have a fantastic toy that that we did many decades ago. That is just probably, uh, you know, aside from Gigapets, probably our top toy. It's called Dissect It Frog Lab. Uh, you can find this in uh, a lot of uh, retail uh, places uh, like uh, Target or Learning Express and so forth. The uh, the Frog Lab has a very unique compound that uh, we've uh, worked with a, a Swiss compound maker uh, located in uh, Hong Kong. And uh, you get to, you know, carve into this uh, gel-like frog or gelatin-like frog and uh, dissect it uh, using a very uh, detailed um, instruction manual, if you will. 
And so there's a, a lot of uh, educational value to that, and, and no real frogs are harmed in the process. Nice. I think that's the best part because that was one of those ones that I always uh, didn't care for, the fact that you had to cut into a, a real animal. And now with this, you still get the same educational value, but you don't uh, have to hurt anything. Right. Well, I, I, uh, I, we're actually doing a, a salamander and a piranha, too, because I think everyone needs to learn how to fillet a fish, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That is so cool, and such a uh, iconic fish like the piranha uh, makes yeah. it extra fun. So, Steve, before we let you go, where on social media, where on the web can we find out more about Top Secret Toys? Well, our our website is uh, www.topsecrettoys.us, and uh, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook, you can find fun uh, videos on uh, YouTube as well. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep adding to that all the time. So these are uh, places that folks that are interested in toys from inventors, uh, they can, uh, you know, look at this from time to time, and, and there will always be something, some new entertainment there. I can promise you that. That is awesome. And, you know, a lot of people are going, oh, well, Christmas has already passed. Well, the nice thing is Valentine's Day is coming up, Easter's coming up, birthdays, and Top Secret Toys is there to uh, give you an educational and fun option for toys, it sounds like. Every day is a great day for a toy. So, I mean, excuse me. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, well, my kids maybe are a little bit spoiled. They seem to to get more toys uh, anytime they want them. Uh, I hope other parents are the same. That's that's good for all toy companies. I know what you mean. Thank you for joining us, Steve. Hey, thank you, James. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening, Ohio. We will talk to you next week on this Dream House.